Welcome. I'm Eric Fleming, host of A Moment with Eric Fleming, the podcast of our time. I want to personally thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then I need you to do a few things. First, I need subscribers. I'm on Patreon at patreon.com slash a moment with Eric Fleming. Your subscription allows an independent podcaster like me the freedom to speak truth to power and to expand and improve the show. Second, leave a five-star review for the podcast on the streaming service you listen to it. That will help the podcast tremendously. Third, go to the website, momenteric.com. There you can subscribe to the podcast, leave reviews and comments, listen to past episodes, and even learn a little bit about your host. Lastly, don't keep this a secret like it's your own personal guilty pleasure. Tell someone else about the podcast. Encourage others to listen to the podcast and share the podcast on your social media platforms because it is time to make this moment a movement. Thanks in advance for supporting the podcast of our time. I hope you enjoy this episode as well. to another moment with Eric Fleming. I am your host, Eric Fleming. And today, well, I got some more thoughts, been observing some things, and I don't know if I got questions or whatever, but I have thoughts. But before I get into my thoughts, it's time for a moment of news for Grace G. Thanks, Eric. Democratic Governor Andy Bashir won re-election in Kentucky, and Republican Governor Tate Reeves won his bid for re-election in Mississippi. Meanwhile, Democrats retained control of Virginia's Senate and won the House. Ohioans voted to enshrine abortion rights in the state constitution and approved a ballot measure legalizing marijuana for recreational use. Democrat Gabe Amo won Rhode Island's first congressional district seat, becoming the state's first black candidate elected to Congress. A former Philadelphia, Pennsylvania councilwoman, Sherelle Parker, was elected mayor, becoming the first female in the city's history to do so. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken urged Israel to halt its military offensive on Gaza, but Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected the request. In a later call with Netanyahu, President Biden reiterated the need to protect both Israeli and Palestinian civilians. U.S. Representative Rashida Tlaib accused President Biden of supporting a genocide against Palestinians and called for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas conflict. Tlaib was later censured by the U.S. House of Representatives for remarks she made on social media. Hollywood actors have reached a tentative agreement with major studios, ending a 118-day work stoppage. Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, and Eric Trump testified that they were not involved with fraudulently manipulating documents to inflate the value of their father's business in a New York civil fraud trial. In several battleground states, a year before the presidential election, President Biden trails behind Republican frontrunner Donald Trump, and Biden's popularity has slipped to its lowest level since April, according to polls. 
A Colorado jury found a second police officer not guilty in the 2019 killing of Elijah McCain. And civil rights leaders call for a federal investigation into the death of Dexter Wade, a black Mississippi man who was struck and killed by police and buried without his family's knowledge. I am Grace G, and this has been a moment of news. All right, thank you, Grace. And then there were four, right? So I'm watching the news, and all of a sudden it was breaking news came on. And it said that uh, Joe Manchin, the senior senator from the state of West Virginia made a decision that he was not going to run for re-election in 2024. He had sent out, I guess, a written statement, and then he did a video statement, I guess for social media or whatever, um, basically saying the same thing. But then he said something to the effect of he's going to tour the country and kind of see what can be done to help the middle, uh, help the, I guess, voters who are not to the extreme on the left or the right. And uh, that sounds like to me that he's running for president of the United States. Now, earlier in the year, uh, there had been talk about noble labels putting up a candidate, right? And the name that kept coming up with no labels was Joe Manchin. Now, no labels has said at this point that they haven't really found anybody although they are trying to get places on the ballot they are trying to qualify a spot on the ballot if they do find somebody but they haven't found anybody yet but now Joe Manchin is basically saying he's going to take a tour and somebody pointed out this is very similar to what Hillary Clinton did in 2015 before she jumped out there and ran for president in 2016 and that 2015 tour stopped Biden from running for president in 2016. He wanted to run right after President Obama had served, but Hillary, with her tour, kind of dissuaded him from doing that. So he took a four-year break, and then he answered the call and got elected. So... And Joe Manchin and Joe Biden are friends. That's why he kind of puts up with some of Manchin's actions or thoughts more so than anybody else because, you know, I, I think he looks at Manchin like he looked at John McCain. You know, yeah, they are of a certain party, but they're not going to agree and yada, yada, yada. 
which is fine. But my problem with Joe Manchin thinking about running is uh, just like that congressman from Minnesota, Phillips. I think his name is Dean Phillips. Um, or Cornell West or Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Or now, and now I found out that, you know, when I had said that it was supposed to be a ticket between Cornell West and Jill Stein, and then now Cornell is running on his own. Well, now Jill's running too, right? So, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know what it is about the ego of a politician that is totally unique from anybody else, right? I think, you know, successful people have somewhat of an ego. But I think when it comes to people in politics, an ego is 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 a good thing in a sense because you have to have an ego and I and I've said this many times to many people. You have to have an ego to think that you can go and knock on somebody's door or give a speech or pass out a push card or do a radio or television ad and think you're going to convince 51% of the people to show up on one day to vote for you. There's some ego in that. And a lot of people don't want to admit that, but that, that's true. There's some ego in that. There's a belief that you have that you could be the person, not only to win that particular election, but to get in there and do the work that you want to do. There's some ego behind that. I mean, that's, we, we use another word, confidence, but it's still part of that ego, right? The danger becomes when the ego clouds your judgment and you don't see the big picture anymore. Or you think that you can't be beat. Or you think that you can do nothing wrong. Or if you do something wrong, you don't think you'll have any consequences. That's when the ego becomes bad. Right? And the personification of that is Donald Trump. He's so egotistical to the point where he's narcissistic even in a psychological sense that he and he literally said it and there's millions of Americans that are backing him up, backing him up when he said that he could have shot somebody on Fifth Avenue and nothing would happen to him he literally believes that that's why he's in the middle of four trials criminal trials as well as civil trials. He doesn't feel he's going to be accountable for anything, right? That's where ego is bad. But here's another thing where I think ego is bad, right? So we, we've got this group of people, we'll call them Republicans, who have adopted the mindset of the egotistical leader, the emperor with no clothes, if you will, and have made a calculated decision 
that in order to maintain power, that we have to draw districts a certain way. We have to suppress people's ability to vote, if not outright take it away. And we have to pump the masses with misinformation so that they'd be so afraid that the only option logically in their mind would be to vote for them. Right? And if that sounds bad to you, then you're probably either a Democrat or independent that leans Democrat. If you're a Republican, you're probably offended by what I see I said, which is fine. But the facts are the facts. That's where we are now. It used to be a time where it's like, I have a liberal view of government. You have a conservative view of government. Let's debate and let the voters decide. That's the way it used to be. Now, in the history of both parties, black people were not necessarily in the equation. Right? And now that we have made a legal, litigious, and legislative effort to count, then now, you know, now we see one political party just said, well, screw them. We don't, they, they don't like nothing we say. They don't like, we even have black people in our party and they don't like them. So screw them. We're not, we're not going to even acknowledge them. We don't want them to vote. We don't want them to participate. We don't, we don't want their voice to be heard. Anytime they say something, we'll label them extremist and just, you know, they don't count. Who counts are the people that look like us and think like us. And if you look like us and you don't think like us, shame on you. That's kind of where we are. And again, that sounds kind of harsh, but it's the climate we're in. And so I, and I think millions of other Americans, look at those people as a threat to the very democracy that Martin Luther King and Mega Evers died for. And Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Baker and all these other folks fought for. Right? John Lewis, all these people. We look at them as a threat. And so we look at and I say we, the majority of black people that are going to vote and to be honest are truly educated because for those folks who think that Joe Biden is bad for America I don't know what you expect good to be if you were the president and you inherited a pandemic and you got your people through it without hundreds of thousands of people of dying, unlike the previous president, 
What's not good about that? When you inherited inflation at a record level and you have done everything you possibly can do as an executive of a country and as a cheerleader to stave or to drop inflation down, what else, what, what else are you expecting? When you see job growth and unemployment go down and the economy grow, right? Now, what, what else do you want? What I think, and I don't know why black people think this, but what I think is happening is that there are people who feel as though that other people are benefiting from what America is supposed to be and they're not down with that. They have been in their silo where they believe that only white people are supposed to benefit. And when they see a reality that Asian people actually make more money than white people, right? When they see black and Latino folks being successful in political gains, making decisions that impact their lives and not comfortable with that. And so instead of showing leadership and saying, hey, we've got some of those people on our team too. And they believe in a conservative viewpoint, you know, we, we have people that live in those same communities that will challenge those folks on the other side. Their strategy is, well, we'll just let them be anomalies. It's kind of like the old, from the line in the uh, Spike Lee movie. Um, now I'm drawing a blank which one. <laughs> uh, which movie it was. But it's the line with Mookie and uh, the owner's son, the pizza owner's son, uh, shop owner's son when they're debating about why the shop owner's son doesn't like black people, but then he says Mookie's an exception and Prince is an exception and a few other notable black people. But his overall viewpoint of black people is he still don't like them, right? Um, that's kind of the, the politics where we are, right, to me. And having been in an arena where I I saw that manifested on a daily basis through legislation and 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 or attempts at legislation and attitudes toward people like me in positions, right, or people like me aspiring for other positions. I think that's a pretty fair assessment. And, you know, I get it. Black folks don't think of the monolith, but the majority of us see Joe Biden as a better option than what's being offered. Now, here comes these four people. Cornel West, who is black. Jill Stein, who is a liberal woman. Um... 
Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who, if his dad had lived, would have been president. Um, and now Joe Manchin. And, you know, they have every right to run. But I think their egos and their sense of purpose and direction have clouded their judgment. I think that we are in such a precarious position right now that if any one of those folks pulls so many votes, any one of those four, let me put it this way, any one of those four people could pull the election in a way, you know, where Joe Biden could lose. Now, when Ralph Nader did it in 2002, people were mad, but we weren't in a crisis mode, right? We, we weren't in a, I say 2002, going to 2000. We, were in a, we weren't in a crisis mode. We were entering a new century, uh, you know, the Clinton administration, the spite, his, his flaws injected the hope that a generation before had seen and thought would never come back with the Kennedy assassination, right? And so it was our generation's hope. And then we got another shot in 08 with Obama, right? So we kind of felt, even though Gore lost, that, you know, we were okay as a country. We had divisions and then 9-11 happened, which seemed to kind of galvanize the country a little bit. And then, you know, Barack showed up. <laughs> and for a lot of people, we thought, okay, this is the ultimate sign of hope when actually it was apparently a sound of an alarm for a good number of white people. And they decided to come up with the Tea Party, which now has evolved to the MAGA, MAGA division of the Republican Party, and here we are. So, 23 years ago, if Cornel West and Joe Manchin and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Jill Stein all ran for president, they'd be like, oh, well, you know, it is what it is. They'll get their votes and we'll keep it pushing. But now we're in a position where if all six of those people are on the ballot in November, only one of them is promising to destroy America as we know it, as far as the, the structure of the government, as far as following the Constitution, as far as people 
being able to exercise their voice. It's only one candidate that's against the foundation of, the, of America, against democracy, and that's, that's Donald Trump. So a one-on-one -on -one battle against him, I think good will triumph over evil and people will start restoring some faith in America and then we can just debate issues as opposed to debating whether we want a democracy or not. Right? But when you've got six options and at least three of those options are going to pull from the side maybe four because I, I don't want to say Robert Kennedy is against democracy, but more likely he's going to pull votes from Trump. Maybe Manchin too, I don't know. But most of the other candidates are going to pull from the folks that normally vote for Biden or voted for Biden in 2020. Right? That's kind of the projection that's out there. So if I'm one of those four people and I, and I see what's happening, I may not like Joe Biden if I'm one of those four people, but I feel as though that I could go talk to him. I could have a meeting with him. I can address him. And maybe, just maybe he'll entertain what my concerns are as opposed to using the platform of president of the United States and putting my name on a ballot and getting those people who think like me to vote for me and the guy who wants to destroy the whole process that we just went through gets elected. That's to me is why I think the ego is kicking in. I think every one of those people, have legitimate concerns. And you can call RFK Jr. crazy and you can call Cornell West eccentric and you can call Jill Star out of touch and Joe Manchin, Joe Manchin, right? You can, you can, however you look at it, you can call them whatever names you want to. The reality is, is that each one of those people brings some kind of value to the discussion because historically they have done it. Well, Maybe not Jill Stein. I, I, I still have questions about Jill. But everybody else, you know, and giving her the benefit of the doubt. All of those people bring something to the discussion, which I think is great. In a normal time. But this is not a normal time. I mean... We're, we're getting to a point now where people who three years ago were all down with Biden are like, did we make a mistake because of what is happening in Israel and in the Gaza Strip? So, I mean, you got four people, three of them will possibly pull votes from President Biden, and then now President Biden's folks ain't exactly enthusiastic 
which means that either they'll reluctantly vote for him or they will not vote at all. The guy who has 91 <laughs> indictments in four criminal trials could possibly be elected president while sitting in a jail cell. Because like I, I want to remind folks, there's no prohibition for somebody in jail being president of the United States. Now, that person wouldn't be able to vote for themselves in that particular election, but that person would get elected. I mean, we're, we are literally having discussions. I say we. The government is literally having discussions about if Donald Trump is convicted, what happens to the Secret Service protection? Does he get that in the jail or does he not? Because at this point, there's no policy says that he doesn't. Right? Can he be sent to jail or will they put him in some kind of protective custody? Or in-house arrest or whatever. Right? I mean... These scenarios are being thought about and not just on podcast and at kitchen tables. It's literally in offices like the FBI, the Secret Service, Homeland Security, Department of Justice, all that stuff. These are discussions that are literally happening because of where we are. But this guy, while they're having the discussions, can literally win. And all these people that want to be president right now, which, considering what's going on in the world, okay, you got Biden. We understand Trump had a taste of it, so okay. But the rest of y'all want to want want to get in on this, really? That's that ego kicking in. Yeah, when I get in, I'm gonna do this. You know, Cornell. Oh, we're gonna love people. And Jill's like. Ah, yeah, once people see that we go green, it'll be, everybody will be all right. And Joe Manchin's like, we just got to get along, you know, like he's Rodney King. And Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is like, you know, we just got to get rid of all these crazy scientists and we'll be fine. Right? I mean, I'm being snarky, but the reality is that's y'all's egos talking. That's not logic. We're not in a place where we have a real freedom to have an open discussion about a myriad of ideas and philosophies. As they, they, the, 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 the popular phrase goes, we got one job. We got one job. And that's to protect the democracy that gives you the freedom to run for president, that gives you the freedom to have a voice, that gives you the freedom to move about. Because if Donald Trump wins, and I've been saying Project 2050, it's actually Project 2025, so let me correct that. Project2025.org. Look it up. If Project 2025 is implemented, Donald Trump is back in office, 
we ain't going to have to have these arguments about elections or who's running for president because that'll be over with, done. And people say that's hyperbole. I would rather it be hyperbole than fact. I mean, the man is saying it. He is saying he's going to weaponize the Department of Justice. So all y'all that ran against him, Mr. West, Ms. Stein, Mr. Kennedy, Mr. Manchin, Mr. Biden, all y'all going to jail if he gets reelected because you ran against him. And don't think Ms. Haley and Mr. DeSantis and Mr. Scott and Mr. Christie and Mr. Hutchinson and don't think y'all getting away scot-free and don't think Mr. Pence because you quit that you're not going to be a target he's definitely going to get you because you're the reason why he had to go through all this in his mind in the first place he said he's coming after all of his enemies all of them so when you have somebody running for office that says that maybe in some other countries that might be appealing, but in the United States, it should not be. If you're talking about firing government workers, but you're not getting rid of the actual agencies that they work at, you want to replace them with people that think like you. I mean, history is a guide, boys and girls. Go study what happened, how Germany and Italy evolved to get to the point where we were in World War II. Just, just study it. Just grab a book. There's plenty of books out there. Just grab one. Go to Wikipedia if you don't feel like going to the library. Just study it. And I'll be damned if you don't see what happened then is happening right this minute. The only difference is you've got all these people on podcasts like me and you've got the internet flooded with people like me talking about this thing. And I get it. I got to pay my bills. I got to go to work. I got to take care of my children. I got I to gotta focus. My car is breaking down. I, I got things on my mind. True. And all those things will happen even in a fascist state. Now, your child will be going to a certain school and you'll get a car, maybe, right? I'm sure they'll have people to fix it, whatever car they assign you. And, you know, a lot of, you know, you'll have, a maybe you'll have a job. And if you have a job, you know, you'll have some say-so in it. Probably not much. But I get it. You got all these things and, and you, you, you got all these concerns and worries and stuff. And it, everybody's going through it. I'm going through it. Everybody's going through it. Right? Because, you know, I'm not in the 1%. I think the economy is better. But I'm not in the 1% where it's great. I get all that. Right? But we got one job and we've got a year to figure out how we're going to make and, and be successful at this job. Let me put it that way. 
We got a year to get off our ego, get off our hurt feelings, and focus. Do we ignore things that are happening? No. And I'll get into those feelings on the other side. And we are back. So, some about feelings, right? So, I want y'all to get out your feelings in the sense that you have one job, and that's to protect the democracy so that you can continue to have your feelings and be able to express them. Because if Donald Trump is elected, really any Republican at this point, but Donald Trump, for sure. Your feelings will mean nothing outside of your immediate circle or family. They will not mean anything in the national discussion. Your rights will mean nothing in the national discussion. Your existence will mean nothing in the national discussion. Because if you don't fit the narrative that they are pushing, you're irrelevant. And it's one thing for somebody to say it and act like it, but it's a whole nother thing for them to act on it. And that's real. And it's not saying don't ignore things that you disagree with or don't speak out on things that you are against, right? Because we still need to fight discrimination. We still need to fight police brutality. We still need to fight genocide, right? We, we still need to do all that. We still need to protect the rights of women. But if you get caught up in the circle of four as options, and you have every right to do that, but just understand for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. For every decision, there's a consequence. And your decision to support any one of those four people, that's not Joe Biden, will have consequences that you may not be able to live with. If you think you can live in a fascist state, a real fascist state, not a hypothetical one, not a rhetorical one, a real one, do what you feel you got to do. If you think voting doesn't make a difference, so you're not going to vote. As the girl left when she walked out the door to the guy, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. You're going to miss democracy when it's gone. You think black folks are irrelevant now. I would suggest you watch a fictional story called The Man from the High Castle. Now, if you watch both seasons, you'll have some hope. 
is it two or three seasons? If you watch the whole thing, there's some hope at the end for black people, especially. But in the meantime, not so much. For the majority of the show, not so much. As a matter of fact, I think there's one season we weren't even in it. <laughs> right? Are there any black people in the future of America? Fiction could come, become reality. And we would be of our own doing if we don't participate in the process or waste our vote. Somebody once said, you know, it's, it's tough. It's not fair if people are not allowed to vote, but it's really tough. People have nobody to vote for. What well, you've got somebody to vote for. Whether you agree with that person 100% or not, you got somebody. And by most standards, that person is effectively doing the job. Yeah, he's old. So's the threat. The guy that's running against him that's more than that could possibly beat him. He's old too. And none of these other folks are spring chickens either. <laughs> Let's be clear. Robert F. Kennedy Sr. ran for president in 1968, which meant that he had to be over 35. So if this is his oldest son, I'm just saying, he ain't young. Might be young at heart. Jill Stein ain't young. Might be young at heart. Cornell West is definitely not young. Might be young at heart. Joe Manchin is definitely not young, but he might be young at heart. Everybody running is quote unquote old. <laughs> so let's get off of that. You know what I'm saying? And of the six, five of them are white people. Four of them are white men. So let's get off of that. Still, the realities is in front of us. You have a choice to make. Right? You have a choice. And you may call me a shill or whatever. That's great. I could care less what you call me because been there, done that, heard it all before. I'm just laying out the reality. If you can live with the reality, have at it. I hope that you thrive in it. I know that I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to suffer a lot in a fascist state. I know that. That's not really an option for me. But if you're cool with it, more power to you. Just saying. Tell you what else that you may not have in the future. And I kind of teased it with a friend of mine. He sent me an article about uh, what was going on in the Middle East. And it was an article about diplomats 
basically sending messages to the White House and say, hey, you hugging Netanyahu, Mr. President, basically sent a message to the Arab world that, yeah, the United States is not going to be our friend. That's the message they were conveying. And I don't know if that's totally accurate. It, it, I would kind of lean in the side of caution and say, yeah, well, I can see how the Arab leaders would be upset. Right? Especially with how Israel is going about their business. But what's really going to happen, I see in a generational thing, and it's something that's been bothering me as a Democrat, as a liberal. I don't even know if I'm really classified as a liberal. I, I wrote a piece a long time ago about these labels and all this stuff and how complicated we are. And I don't know if one thing really sticks or not, but I'm kind of getting old and it's like, that's not really a battle worth fighting. If you want to call me a liberal, fine. You want to call me left-leaning, fine. If you want to call me a radical, I don't care. You can call me the N-word as far as I'm concerned. I've been called that and worse. I get more offended if you call me a Republican <laughs> than any of those other things, especially in this, this day and age. I, I'm just being honest. It's more of an insult to me to be called a Republican than the N-word. I mean, that's how strongly I feel about what's happening now. Right? But that's my position. I think to me it's really a no-brainer. And I guess that's the reason why I come off with this perspective because it's somebody that has actually put his name on a ballot, has actually run for an office, has actually been elected to an office, and actually had to negotiate with people who were not from my community, who were not from my political party, who were not of my race, to try to get things done or to stop things from happening that could hurt my people, right? I, I, I deal with people as people, not as angels, not as saviors, not as the be-all, end-all. I deal with them as people just like I'm a person. I have flaws. I have personality quirks and traits that people might be cool with or not cool with. Right? I think a certain way. I talk a certain way. I act a certain way. But so does everybody else. And so the beauty of being put in a situation where you have to interact with all those people to try to accomplish something that is for the greater good, you kind of learn not to be judgmental about folks, not putting unrealistic expectations on other human beings. Who's your friend on one issue may be your enemy on a whole other issue. So be it. And you have to have a certain mindset to accept that. Right? 
So I, I'm, I, I don't care about the criticism. What I care about is the end result. You can call me wherever you want to. As long as Joe Biden wins this election, and 2026 and 2028, we, we have elections that gear us more toward being a true democracy where everybody's voice is heard and, de- and issues are debated intelligently and that these folks that are just attention whores and headline grabbers and straight up crazy folks are not in positions making decisions about my life and my family's life and my friends' lives, my community, I'm good. So yeah, 2024, bam, but then we got 26 and 28. We've got a window where we've got to get these people out and get back to a political debate. And if a third party emerges from that where we have a three-way conversation, that's fine. But as long as it's about intelligence and not about craziness, not about owning somebody, I mean, you know, it's just that Confederate slave mentality. Well, I want to own the lips. Why why do you want to own any human being? (laughs) Right? We, we, We said that's no good. We outlawed that, actually, in the United States. So even using the phrase, I want to own this person. Okay. Slave mentality. I'm just saying. It's not like I haven't or friends of mine haven't used the phrase, but I'm just, when you think about it, if that's your priority, especially if you're in government, I just want to own somebody. <sighs> Whatever. Look, what I was talking to my friend when that, I, and he brought that up about the warning. I told him, you know, the biggest thing that's getting ready to happen over the next couple of generations as the Israelis and the Palestinians, the Arabs of Muslim descent, or even the Arabs of Christian descent, right? Continue to try to settle their differences by killing each other, right? And then you have the nuts over here, the lone wolves who are lonely, huddled up in their computers or whatever, plotting how they're going to change the world like they're the brain and pinky of the brain, right? Like there's some super villain in some Marvel or DC comic book. They single-handedly are going to change the world by shooting up people, or blowing up people, right? All in the name of some kind of religious connotation. Because when you listen in the news, it's like Jews are fighting Muslims. Christian nationalists are shooting up stores and movie theaters and all this other stuff. You know who's really going to suffer for all that? Or what institution is going to suffer from that? Religion. I hear it. And that was kind of 
how I got into that rabbit trail earlier, I hear it as being a Democrat. Because I'm noticing a lot of people who are, quote unquote, on my side, as far as Joe Biden and other stuff, are very, very open in saying that they don't believe in God or that they don't practice religion. Right now, that's your choice in America. That's your choice. You can do that. From my theological upbringing and training, God gave us a free will to make that decision to accept him or not. For people that try to think scientific and logical, that seems counterintuitive, but it's better to love somebody of their of your own free will than it is to be forced to love them or indoctrinated to love them. If we're going down that rabbit hole of, of logical thought, right? And I'm not a theological scholar. So yeah, maybe I can't really explain the nuance of the Trinity to somebody that doesn't believe or all that stuff, but I believe I'm a, I'm a Christian. I, I'm a believer. But I think as, and I was even told once by a Democrat 30 years ago, I was given a speech that I used God too much in my speeches. Of course, I was a lot younger, so I was a little more flippant in my response, but those people had kids, <laughs> right? And the more I listened to people that are engaging in these protests, right? I'm even watching how this, how the protests are going, right? Is that there are people who may have grown up in a Muslim household, may have gone to a mosque as a child, but they're pro-Palestinian on the basis of human rights as opposed to being a Muslim. There are people that are pro-Israeli who grew up in a Jewish household who went to the synagogue as a child and, you know, all that stuff, who just believe Israel as a state has a right to exist. They're not practicing their faiths. They don't necessarily buy into it. And I, I, granted, it's a small minority of those people, but it's growing. And as long as we continue to fight these wars and paint pictures of each other based on your religious affiliation, right? Even the Christians, because I hear a lot of black folks talking about, well, you know, it was Christianity that put us into slavery. No, it was evil ass white people that put us into slavery. They were the antithesis of what being a Christian was. Now they use the Bible as a weapon, but just like certain sects of Christianity, they took the bits and pieces of the Bible they wanted to use. They didn't give you the whole book. And then, you know, you get into, oh, well, you know, it was man who wrote this and yada, yada. Okay. In my faith, I believe these were men who were divinely inspired, who saw some things and documented them. 
And the way the book is put together is a chronology to explain how Jesus got here. Right? Just like we all embrace roots as black folks, right? It was Alvin ha Alex Haley talking about, you know, his ancestors and how he, how he got here. It's the way the Bible is set up. Right? But, like I said, it's not a religious discussion, but a lot of my stuff, a lot of the things that I believe in and why I fight so passionately for the rights of human beings is based off of my faith. I didn't pervert it like a Mike Johnson or a Mike Pence or I guess anybody else named Mike. <laughs> I'm just picking up on that. I, you know, who, Mike is a derivative of, of Michael, which you know, was, was an angel, right? An archangel. Nonetheless, it's going way off the rabbit hole, going deep. But seriously, I, I'm not one of those people who, well, I mean, I was even asked that. How is it that you practice a faith, but your politics don't reflect that? I said, because when I took an oath, I took an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of my state, not the Bible. I was elected to represent a portion of a state, not a book from the Bible. So what I believe and what I practice is my belief and my practice. But when I am representing a constituency that may have Jewish people and Muslim people and agnostic people and Buddhist people and even Taoist, right? I have to create legislation that's in the best interest of all of them not my tribe alone. Now, I would like for my tribe to benefit from what I'm pushing, which is why I forget which Justin got jumped on about saying that, but the overall goal is to help everybody. But I have a particular interest in making sure that black folks are uplifted. I would look stupid pushing for something that benefits everybody but black folks. And I represented black folks. But the goal is, is to really live up to the phrase, a rising tide lifts all boats. That's the goal. The goal is to make sure that the preamble is adhered to individual liberty general welfare taken care of done so as I'm looking at the future and looking at how religion is being weaponized well I think that at the rate we're going gener a couple of generations from now religion will not be weaponized anymore because there won't be any and then that's a whole nother dynamic. Because in order to do what I do, in order to have done what I did as an elected official, in order to exist in the world that we're in now, I have to have faith. 
I have to believe that there is a higher power. I have to believe that there is hope. And I don't think the hope can just be within each other. I think there's a spirit that dwells in each one of us that has to be tapped into. And if we don't have to have an organized religion, but you still acknowledge that spirit, you still acknowledge a higher power, okay. That's fine. But again, community, and and really, if you really, really study it, everything's interconnected anyway. Especially the three Abrahamic religions they're they're all connected one they all come from the same part of the world two there's a storyline that connects all of them so what's with the division anyway but that's again a religious debate well I'm afraid of in a country where there's no religion, in a country where there's no belief, in a country where there's no hope, in a world where there's no hope, I don't think we have any solutions. I think we just coexist. And, and, and we're not going to coexist peacefully. Now, the argument is we have religion and we're not coexisting peacefully, point taken. Which is why my admonishment today is for those of us who believe in our respective faiths, especially the three faiths that are tied in with this conflict in Israel and Gaza, we got to step our game up. We got to step our belief up and we got to exercise our belief to remind them that every one of those religions is centered around a word called peace. I saw something online, which I thought was very, very appropriate. It said, it's not correct to say that we're going to, we've got to follow a path of peace. It's, it's the opposite. Peace has to be the path. Right? If we approach our politics belligerently, if we approach our relationships with other people belligerently, if we approach our relationships with other nations belligerently, we will get a belligerent response. Do you know how hard it was for a man like Dr. King or Mohandas Gandhi to try to convince people to peacefully fight against those who attacked them. Malcolm X wasn't even down with that until he made his pilgrimage. And then he still wasn't a hundred percent on that, but that he was, he, he, he had a better understanding. You, you feel what I'm saying? You know, And, and we all ascribe, especially here in America, about defending yourself, right? But what are you defending yourself against? You're defending yourself against an attack. The former president said, in times of peace, you prepare for war. 
Well, the counter to that is if you are in peace, work hard to maintain it. And if working hard is not enough, work harder. We are in a world where it's very easy to dispose of a human being. We are in a world where it's very easy to dismiss human beings because we are becoming more and more impersonal. All of us are turning into introverts in one way or another. Some are natural introverts, but society, the world that we live in now is almost creating introversion. And whereas natural introverts don't hate people, created introverts do. Or they don't regard people as people. And if we did not, if we were totally devoid of that, then nobody would be saying anything about what's going on in Israel and Gaza or what's going on in Africa or what's going on in, in Asia, what's going on in Europe, what's going on in the United States. Nobody would be talking about that. But because we have some spark, some spirit within us that does believe that humanity has the right to exist peacefully and should be allowed to live abundantly, voices of protest are out there. And again, I'm down with protest as long as it doesn't As long as protests don't become violent and not violent in the sense of looting or tearing up stuff, violent as far as destroying the very fabric of the cloth that you need in order to protest. That makes sense. We all need to have a little faith. We all need to have a little hope. But if we, if the institutions that are supposed to be the embodiment of faith, hope, peace, and love are engaged in war all the time, are engaged in violent rhetoric and engaged in overthrowing governments all the time, then it's hard to make that sale. It's hard to convince people down the road that your faith is what makes you a better citizen. Your, your desire for peace, your desire for hope, your agape and fill of love, right? That brotherly love, that unconditional love, right? Toward other human beings. 
toward the world you live in. If that's, if that's taken away, there's no hope for us. And those organizations, those institutions that are supposed to espouse those points and really supposed to teach those points, if they feel the only way that they can resolve it is to kill each other, to declare that another group of people should be eradicated from the face of the earth or take actions to do that. It's bad enough to say it, but to actually take the action that goes against everything, everything of the faith that you claim to believe in. And so not only will we lose democracy if we do the wrong thing, we can lose the institutions that give us the hope that we can overcome anything. And that's a deep and chilling thought. And I wish that when I listen to Israeli leaders, and I listen to Arab leaders, I don't hear any logic coming from any of them at all. It is strictly emotion. It is strictly pain. It is strictly anger. And we're not going to resolve anything. To ask people to say, well, we need to have a ceasefire. Well, you're being clouded by emotion, too, because you're not paying attention to the emotion the two sides fighting have. If they're not level-headed, we got to get them to a point to be level-headed. There's a way to deal with Hamas. It's going to take some time, but there's a way to deal with them. Just like ISIS was dealt with, just like Al-Qaeda was dealt with, just like any terrorist group is dealt with throughout the history of the world. You don't have to get it. There's an adage in football saying you don't have to get it all at one time. Right? That's real. I mean, you know where the leaders of the organization are. So why are you focused on blowing up the tunnels? Go get them. Now, I'm not saying start a war with Cutter, but I'm just saying go get them. Whether you have to do it legally, whether you have to do it stealthily, go get them. You know where they are. They're right there. They're having press conferences. Blowing up a tunnel and a hospital in the process, and they're sitting right there chilling. Ben Laden was in a cave for crying out loud. We had to go get him. And then he got into a house that was near a cave. But nonetheless, he was hiding. These guys are out in the open. It's just a thought. Right? But even at that, you can't think like that if you're emotionally engaged, if you're, if you're angry and you forget your principles. Islam 
means peace. The greeting in a Jewish community is shalom, which means peace. If the premise of your faith is peace, why are y'all trying to kill each other? Why? And why are you dragging the rest of the world in it? That's, 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 that's work. It's beyond man. That's that principles and powers that they teach us in the Christian faith that we're fighting principalities and powers that we're fighting against. It's not that other human being. It's a concept of division. It's a concept of anger. It's a concept of fear that you are fighting against. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I sound like Cornell West now. I don't know. But to me, it just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I, I think if there's, eventually I would like for us to get to a basic understanding of tolerating each other. But if we get political points for being intolerant, if we get political points for being assholes, crazy assholes at that, then there's no hope. And that's on us. Michael Jackson said, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I think we all do. We all need to look at the man or woman in the mirror. What example are we setting to send a message to our leaders that that rhetoric, that attitude, those actions are not what we want? What are we doing? I'll leave y'all with that challenge. Until next time.